turn to God's Word as found from Matthew chapter 7. As we continue to work through this wonderful gospel account, we find ourselves at Matthew 7, and we'll pick up the reading at verse 24. This is God's Word. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Thus far, the reading of God's word to us this morning. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the proclamation of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, so Jesus has just preached the Sermon of Sermons and then says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hearing and heeding, listening, and doing. Friends, some of us here like to spend time in our craft rooms or shops, whether it's crocheting or building something out of wood or creating some artistic masterpiece. There is something that that draws us to that DIY that do-it-yourself experience. I'm not a big TV watcher of such things, but I will occasionally watch an episode or two from a series on, on home construction and repair. In so many of these shows that feature remodeling of houses, two words are used again and again and again. And I mean overly used, especially by homeowners who see that big reveal, that work done by the designers on their houses. And these two words are amazing and space. Amazing space. One adjective and one noun. Amazing like the word awesome can be overplayed so that the word is no longer amazing. But yeah, homeowners on these shows are amazed at the transformations done to their houses. The noun space is the realtor's go-to word. He or she will always talk about the space. It's all about the open space concept in the housing market. It's been that way for for decades. People want their space. And the trend has been for some to open things up. The living room has been expanded to become the great room. 
And now we have a great room, or why have a great room, when, when you can have an overflowing space with no walls whatsoever. In fact, many a, a church will find its way into a warehouse because it's nice and cavernous and large and spacious and there are no walls. Even offices have tried to do this, much to the chagrin of others when they remove the cubicles and everything and let's just go gather together and we hear the noise of each other and well, suddenly we see the cubicles pop back up and yes, it's probably better to have a few walls, but it's all about space. And if we can make the space amazing, well, that's just great. Well, what if the amazing space was actually amazing grace? Amazing grace. What if the real home is that spiritual residency the Spirit is taking up in you? Would that not be properly amazing? Our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 7 has just given us the blueprint for the spiritual house that cannot be destroyed. One of the things in the television programs on home improvement do is try to create as much drama as possible. And so the contractor discovers leaking pipes and, and rot behind wallboards and, and sunken foundations. And the homeowner is just bewildered by it all because of such a, such a mess in the house. So there's always this dramatic demolition portion of the home improvement show. Remove the old, the dated, the falling apart. If we were to take a sledgehammer, beloved, and knock down portions of an older home, what might we discover? Well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus has taken a spiritual sledgehammer, if you will, to the hypocrites, to, to the teachers of the law, and even to us. Now, he's taken a, a sledgehammer to the church. That's what he's done. And he is swinging away. And those who have eyes that see and ears that hear and, and noses that smell, they will discover, they will discover what sin leaves behind. Rot. Decay. Filth. Corruption. Was it not Paul who said, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Those words from Romans 7, 7. Now, if we look back at this closing section of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 15 through 25, we, we see our Lord presenting three, three warnings dealing with false discipleship. And we covered much of this already. First, Jesus said to be aware of the false prophets and teachers who make pretentious professions and compel others to follow them. We also saw, secondly, that Jesus addresses presumption and how some perform the duties of the faith and claim to be Christians but are not. That dreaded insincerity of word and deed of those who say, Lord, Lord, but we're really acting out me, me. Such false claimers as these will never enter the kingdom of heaven, our Lord declares. Now we hear, this morning we hear, about building our house on the rock, or really what amounts to being the actual practice of our faith. 
in a real sense. In a real sense, it's always been about doctrine and life. But our Lord completes his sermon with this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. That's the very end of the sermon. That's Jesus' exclamation point on his magnum opus. A foolish man who builds his house on the sand is a one who does not hear and heed my words. These days, if a pastor does not finish his message with a platitude or a final encouraging word, something super positive, he's criticized. Beloved, chapters 5 through 7 seem to have a lot of negativity. There's a lot there. One can argue there's a fair amount of finger-pointing that can be construed as highly offensive. But nestled in those bewares and the do-nots lies the expectation. Jesus Christ expects his disciples to do the will of God. And in doing that, they are to be humble. They are to be pure and honest, faithful, sincere, merciful, and loving. He expects his followers to know the doctrine and also to live out that doctrine. The concluding point in verses 24 through 27 is, don't just hear, hear and do. A true disciple hears and does. And so our Lord uses the metaphor of two houses, one built on the rock and the other on the sand. One built on the truth and the other on man's interpretation of the truth, his own thoughts, desires, ambitions, goals, etc. All of life, beloved, is building on that which we know and trust. Trust in yourselves and the house, which is the outcome of your convictions outside of Christ, will simply collapse. People can build some impressive structures, but if the foundation is not Christ, then the building will be swept away. It will be gone. Conversely, a modest abode, one that is built on God's word, will resist the storms that come in life. The storms of suffering, the storms of tribulation, the storms of disease or injury, the storms of economic hardship like unemployment and so forth. These people, though shaken and sometimes really shaken, still stand at the end of the day because the house was founded on the rock. Jesus uses rain, floods, wind imagery because when the occasional storm would visit Palestine, it would be a whopper. People got it. They knew what a storm could bring. It could wipe out anything, everything. It would be very destructive. When hurricanes are forecasted to hit the East Coast, and I lived through a couple of those storms, people get out the plywood to, to cover 
the, the windows and protect the glass from wind and flying debris. I remember those days growing up, living on Long Island. We would get a whopper of a storm. But Jesus is not advocating here that we do some last-minute preparation. Jesus is teaching us to build up, to build up a solid faith founded on the rock by hearing his words and doing them. Perhaps you've seen folks in the faith that either seem resilient and strong in the face of stormy circumstances, or others fold and cower at the slightest providential disturbance. They don't know what to do. They fall flat. And it's not a big thing, but it is a big thing for them. The difference between the two comes to the solidity of one's discipleship or the practice of faith. Both can hear the same message. Both can hear the same message, but one takes it to heart and practices more than the other, and it shows. Our faith is evident, friends, in how we approach the storms of life. That's when we really get to see those things in which you trust. And the smaller obstacles that we encounter every day, the the, the smallest little things that, that could potentially, you know, derail us. The foolish mentioned in our text discount the application of truth altogether. They might give a nod to the truth, but practice it not so much. Remember what the apostle said to the the saints at, at Corinth in the second letter? He says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That was his life. That was the life of an apostle. That was the life of an everyday saint facing persecution. Struck down, hurt, maligned, but not destroyed. Now that's amazing. It's amazing because God provides the sufficient grace for us to endure. We hear, and by God's grace, we we do. And in our doing, we submit to him. We really rely on his strength. It's not mere lip service. We don't go to worship just to hear and go through the motions, but we want to be recharged. We want to be refreshed. We know that there's going to be some things out there this week, maybe even in the next hour, which could confound us and and challenge us. I suspect we've all been involved in in a house move or helping another move into a house or or maybe just a remodel. And typically we we survey the site, maybe to examine the foundation, the siding, the roof, or perhaps a space we want to remodel. We get the measuring tape out. And we want to be sure our changes meet what? Meet the code. The code is always out there. We don't want to rewire a house or room with extension cords, do we, that can't handle the load. Every time we avail ourselves to the means of grace, of listening to the word, of partaking of the sacraments and praying, we are having our spiritual house examined, 
Right now, at this very moment, your spiritual house is being examined. And we invite that. That's what we do. That's why worship can be convicting. That's why worship can be painful. It's discipline. And in the past, when I heard people say, well, you know, to to a young person, if you can sit through a two-hour movie, then you can surely sit through a 20-minute, 30-minute sermon. And I've always, I never liked that uh, comparison, that illustration. Because sitting through a movie isn't like sitting through hearing God's word. This this is hard work. It's taxing. And you leave this place a little tired. Not because you went to bed late last night or because your Saturday was filled with activities, but because you were engaging in worship of your Lord. And we need to rely on his strength. Beloved, every time, every time we attend worship, we gather as his people. We gather as his people. You see, if the church is orthodox, that is, if the preacher and congregant are faithful to God's word and sincere in practice, as we gather together, we are going to have something special. We are going to have mutual engagement in the spiritual remodeling according to the code of God's word. That's what we're doing. We're going to engage in this. and We do it together. And we do it according to the code of God's word. I know of a few over the years tell me that they listened to the preaching, even recently, from our website or watched a live stream and, and found the proclamation uh, convicting and profitable. So when I suggest that they should hear it live and be in the company of the saints, uh, these folks basically say, well, that's not going to happen, Pastor. <laughs> not going to happen. I know about your church. And yes, I know a thing or two about your denomination. And you guys take the faith pretty seriously. Now, that could be perceived as a backhanded compliment. But really, one can properly, properly understood, ask, can, can the faith ever be taken too seriously? Can it really ever be taken too seriously? Now, we're not talking about being religious zealots but wanting to get it right. Because we know how easy it can be to get it wrong. If you look at church history, you'll see how the church has gotten it wrong on a lot of different doctrine and a lot of different practice. But too often what people want, and even in our sin we want this too, is a convenient faith. You can ask for some, but don't ask for a lot, okay? Because I'm a busy person, I've got other things to do. So given our sinful nature, we would want a a, a convenient, relaxing faith. A faith that's just chill, right? That's not what the Lord ever promised. Believe in me, and you will have a chill life. You're not going to find that in God's word. But people want a nice-looking house, but built with cheap building supplies. Nothing too costly. Don't ask too much of me. Can we just profess our faith in Christ? Can we just secure the forgiveness of our sins forever? And can't our entrance into heaven happen without our ever becoming a servant of Christ? 
without ever changing our life, without becoming obedient to God's commandments. And to our young lady who's about to profess her faith in her midst in a couple of weeks, too often a profession of faith by a young person ends up being this. You know, you get your driver's license, or you get your learner's permit, you graduate from maybe grade school or homeschool or high school, and then you make your profession of faith, and bam, guess what? You just graduated from church, and we don't see the individual anymore. If you look at the Reformed Church at large, you'll see a lot of young people have left. Well, I did everything. I made my profession of faith, and then they go off the radar. That's not what this is about. We are to be continually building upon the house by the grace of God. But too often we, we want that cheap building material, material of easy believism and antinomianism. Antinomianism means anti-law, to name two. Why, why can't I just believe the basics and go my merry way and be saved? Because that's when we go back to when we said, Lord, Lord, I, you know, I did a couple of things here. And our Lord responds, I never knew you. Listen and do. Our Lord says, hear and heed. So why not build on the rock? Because to do that, you have to follow the blueprint of God's word. And the sad thing is, people who confess Christ often do not want to do that. They want to build on the sand. It's just easier. But from that word, we learn that we are sinners in need of grace because that rock is Christ. That rock is his word. And we are sinners in need of grace and we are incapable of erecting our own lasting structures. Try as we might, we will fail every time. It is by that word that we are given that glorious spiritual building code. But you ask a, a contractor who likes to do things on the cheap, and he or she will find ways to, to get around certain codes Use the cheapest materials. And it may look good on the exterior, beautiful building, but inside the mold grows, the cracks happen, and the house gives way. Matthew's gospel account has always been about building up disciples, about building you up, building you up, building you up. You can't simply know the truth and refuse to build off of it. So yes, our faith is a blessing because of the hope and comfort that comes from it. It's also hard work, very, very hard work because we are called to mortify the old, to take out that, that proverbial sledgehammer and to wail away at the old self. And who wants to do that? And properly understood, you can love yourself in Christ. But you're not putting a premium on self. You're putting on a premium on that new self in Christ. The reward is that the new self is founded on the rock, built on Christ. 
And the promise is that you will never, never fall. That's structure. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan cannot take you out of the grip of the Father. Even though there may be times in which you seem a little bit distant from God because of personal sin or, or because you've been lazy, lethargic in, in your communing with God, and you seem to not, not to be in God's presence, all those kinds of things might be true, and yet you're still in the Father's grip. The promise is that you will never fall. The building code, the law, though, does not save you. The Sadducees thought it, it did. The Pharisees thought it did. They thought, well, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll add to the law our own traditions, our own stuff. And that just became burdens on the church. And that's why Jesus took the sledgehammer and just wailed away at the establishment. I wonder so often, if he were physically in our presence, where would he sling that sledgehammer? But I don't have to wonder too far or too much because from his word, we know where he's swinging that. And we need to be hit when we are in sin. And so, beloved, fasten your tool belt, and as the home improvement store commercial goes, let's build something together. Let us grow in knowledge and grace as one and do as Christ 